Amen. Hey, thanks. Uh, no, no, please don't. <laughs> oh, that's so kind. Uh, reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. So, uh, what a joy it is to be here to hear you this morning. If you have a Bible, um, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 22. Um, Ten years is a long time to have a preacher, and it's about when things start going wrong with them. And uh, during my sabbatical, uh, I've had some challenges, nothing too serious, but serious as far as I'm concerned. I uh, had a stomach virus for three or four days on vacation and then got back and apparently somehow, I don't know how, um, uh, strained a muscle in my back. And so as of Thursday, I didn't think I would be here today. Uh, Woody can tell you, Woody's ready to preach. So if I fall out, you're going to get the last third of his sermon, whatever that may be. <laughs> be the first mashup sermon in history. We'll see how it goes. Um, but by God's grace, thanks to my doctors and the prayers of so many people, um, I'm feeling a lot better today and feel able to preach. So uh, it's a joy to be here. But I would understand if you guys were ready to trade me in for a newer model. I would totally understand at this point because uh, the... Uh, the maintenance and repair bills are starting to stack up a little bit. Ephesians 2, 11 through um, 22. Uh, let me say one more thing before we turn to the scriptures, just how grateful I am for the gift of time away. Um, it's been a blessing for me in so many ways, spiritually, physically, honestly. Um, emotionally, it's been really good for me, but it's also been good, I think, for my ministry because I was so eager to be back. And it's so good to be back. And so good to um, feel even fresh. I never felt like I lost any joy. Um, just one thing I think to keep in mind for all of us is um, it's always good to give someone a sabbatical when they don't need it. <laughs> you don't want to play catch up on your time away. So I didn't have to do that, you know. Um, but so there's always been joy, but I feel fresh joy uh, to, to be here. So thank you for that. And thank you for all your kindness. And I look forward to celebrating further uh, our time together here in just a few weeks. I'll talk to you a little about our preaching schedule um, uh, in the next few weeks when we get started in the sermon. But let me just mention, uh, not it, three weeks from now, it will be the celebration. The week after that, the first Sunday of September, I'll begin a series through Samuel. So we'll do First Samuel, and we may take a break and then do Second Samuel later, but we're going to work through Samuel eventually. And I think you're going to really love the books of Samuel there. So I just wanted to prepare you for that. If you wanted to start getting your scripture journal ready and everything like that, we're going to be working through Samuel here for a little bit coming up. So... But the next few weeks, we'll be doing something a little different, and we'll talk about that in a moment. If you have your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter 2, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came... And preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you please today open our hearts and minds to hear your word, to receive your word. And oh God, don't let us leave without being changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, last few weeks, uh, I've been on a sabbatical, as you know, and it has been wonderful and challenging at the same time. You can probably guess how it's been wonderful. Um, I've had plenty of extra time to just do kind of whatever I want to do. I've been able to do some research for doctoral work that I'm doing, which has been really fruitful and helpful, and got some work done on writing, which I really needed to do, and I'm in a good place there. It's been wonderful in the sense that I got longer and more uh, uninterrupted time with my family, which has been wonderful for most of us. My wife says I'm never allowed to retire, though, so we'll see. She says every day you need to get up, take a shower, and go somewhere, and so it's going to be here as long as you'll have me. <laughs> It's been wonderful in lots of ways, um, but it's also been challenging. And I think you could probably understand what's been challenging. Part of what's been challenging is my own sin, because we tend to want to define ourselves by what we do. I don't know, you may not be this way. I tend to want to define myself by what I do. Am I being successful? Am I doing a good job? Am I serving God's people well? Am I loving people well? Am I, do they feel loved and cared for? Is, am I preaching the word well? I, I tend to define myself not by being who Christ may be to be in Him, but instead by being Pastor Matt sometimes. So for me, the, one of the biggest challenges in the past several weeks has been that a lot of what I do just hasn't been there. It's just not been available to me. That sort of crutch of identity that I like to lean on sometimes, it's just been gone. So it's been wonderful for me, though, because it's pressed me to remember, and I think this is something good for all of us to remember. I've been pressed in the last five or six weeks to remember I am not what I do. It's not who I am. I'm not who, I am not what I do. Instead, I've been pressed to think through my identity in Christ. I'm not defined by who I was. I'm not defined by my works. I'm defined only by the righteousness of Jesus of Nazareth that I've received by faith. And so to have to do a deep dive into who I am in Christ has been helpful. Uh, once I learned about the sabbatical, I, I really began to pray about 
how to come back, what to preach on when you come back. And as it's occasioned, uh, as marked the occasion of my 10 years here, I've been thinking a lot about what the next 10 years might look like. Early on in my ministry here, we did a lot of vision stuff, and I thought it might be good to renew some of that um, in these coming days. So I plan to come back and preach uh, a sermon on what we're going to do for the next 10 years. And I'm not talking about specific things or anything like that. Where, you know, there's nothing votable on this, but just to sort of cast a vision for what things might look like over the next 10 years, how we might grow, how we might change, what we might do. But in different ways, part of, part of it from what I was experiencing and st- studying and reading and praying over sabbatical, and some of it was some changes to our schedule. Instead of preaching a single sermon on what we should do, um, these circumstances led me to realize I needed to preach two sermons. Because before we talk about what we do for the next 10 years, we need to talk about who we are today. We need to remember that we are a church that is built on the gospel of grace given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, before we try to do anything for God, we need to drink deeply of grace. Next week, there will be plenty of time to talk about what we do. But before we get there, let's talk about who we are. I want to show you this morning three truths about Christ's church that I hope will help you drink deeply of grace, that I hope will help us sit here and know who we are before we try to do anything for God. I think so often the modern evangelical church is so busy doing that we've forgotten to grow deep roots into Christ. And I think that's why we're seeing some of the, so many of the challenges of the day impacting the church in such pronounced ways is because we're so busy being practical we've forgotten that the most practical thing of all seems so impractical to us and that's to have a deep and abiding relationship and knowledge of who we are in Christ brothers and sisters I want to show you today three truths about who we are as the Lord's church here's the first our church is built by grace Our church is built by grace. Now, we've already drunk deeply of grace today, haven't we? I mean, we have just about, I was wallowing grace like a pig in the sloth this morning, you know? Just loving it. It was beautiful, it was wonderful, brought to tears by the beauty of the gospel. But my friends, to know who we are, we've got to first remember who we were. To know who we are, we first got to remember who we were. Grace isn't grace if we were all perfect in the beginning. Now, it's easy for us as Christians to forget who we were, especially those of us who have sort of been Christians for generations in our family. Some of you may have grown up in non-Christian households. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for the fact that you've been saved uh, now. But most of us, even those of us who didn't grow up in Christian households, most of us have grown up in a generally Christian culture. And so it's really easy for us to develop. Those of us who grew up in a Christian household, who are a part of multiple generations of Christians, those of you who are on the cradle roll of the First Baptist Church or Calvary Baptist Church or wherever you went before, uh, it's easy for us to forget who we were before. And if we grew up in a Christian culture, it's even easier, I think, for us to develop a sort of us, the Christian, versus them, the pagans, sort of mindset. But my friends, we must remember who we were. Paul doesn't mince words here, does he? Notice what he says in verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. Now listen, that's us. We're Gentiles in the flesh here. 
Um, I, I've not met any of you yet, and I've said this a few times. You may have Jewish ancestry. I don't know. not met anyone who would be considered Jewish in our congregation at this point. But that means all of us are Gentiles. We're the heathens. We're the, the uncircumcision, as Paul says. Notice what he says in verses 11, 12, 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. But Paul's trying to make really clear that the, that distinction is really just in the flesh, right? He's, he's not giving anybody any, any upper hand here. He's trying to make sure that none of the readers who are a Jewish audience would look down on their Gentile brothers and sisters. But he says, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. Then he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You are strangers, he says, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I just can't imagine anything much worse than that, right, guys? I mean, this is a pretty bad list of stuff to say. I mean, I, this is what I'm telling you right now. Apart from Jesus, apart from God's grace, this is who you are. You are the uncircumcision, a derogatory term. You're the unwashed heathen. You're separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. You're without God in the world. But now, verse 13. You see, to know who you are, you have to know who you were. That's who you were without God and with no hope in this world. But this is who you are. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. You have now been brought near to God. You are no longer without hope in the world. You are no longer without God in the world. Instead, you have been brought near through the gospel of Christ Jesus, which has been given peace with man, the Bible says. Paul, in here in verses 14 through 17, shows so clearly the way that the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile has been broken down in Christ. He himself is our peace, he says in verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I want you to think about this. There's no divide in human history like the divide between Jew and Gentile. There's no divide in human history like the divide between Jew and Gentile. One group was God's chosen people, one group wasn't. Okay? One group had the promises and covenants of God, and the other group didn't, or so it seemed. One group was considered to be God's chosen people, and the other group wasn't. There's never been a divide like that, but... For Paul to talk about the way that Jew and Gentile can be reconciled in Christ, it ought to give us hope for a world that's boiling over with every kind of tension you can imagine. Every kind of tension. And this is Gentile-Gentile tension. And if God can break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, recognizing that He Himself is our peace, what a word that is for Christians who want to fight a lot who want to look down their nose at other people. No, Jesus is our peace. We've been given peace with man. But I want you to notice, as Paul progresses, I want you to notice something here that he says. 15 and 16, he continues this 
picture of reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. But then I want you to notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What a beautiful thought. My friends, we don't have to go to Jerusalem every year to make a sacrifice. We don't have to go to some place. We don't have to do some, we don't have to follow some ceremonial law. The Bible says that those things are gone. They're behind. We have access to the Father through the Spirit because of what Jesus has done. You see this? I wonder if you see it. I wonder if you can see here the fact that our church is built by grace. Look around you. Look around you, my friends. Look around. Look around the room. That's all we've got. Nobody in this room has any right to be here but by grace. What do we have? Do we have our flesh? No, we don't have our flesh. We can't boast in our flesh, can we? We were called the uncircumcision. What do do we have? Look around. Do we have our pedigree? No, we were separated from Christ. What do we have? Do we have our nationality? No, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We don't have our knowledge. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We don't have our great disposition. We were without hope in the world. We don't even have our religion, my friends. We have nothing but grace. We were without God in the world. How are we here? Why are we here? Christ came to us. And He didn't just preach to those who were near. He didn't just preach to the Israelites. He preached also to those who were far off, including a big old sanctuary full of former heathen in Gadsden, Alabama. Oh, friends, rest in God's grace. Be confident in who you are, not in who you were, but in who you are, because Jesus came and He snatched you from the flames. He plucked you from perdition. He gathered you out of the storm of this world, and He made you His very own. This church is built by grace and grace alone. That's all we have. But not only that, our church is sustained by Christ. Our church is sustained by Christ. Verse 19. So then, because of this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Look at this beautiful picture here, my friends. We were once strangers and aliens in this world. It's interesting the way that this language is used. Here it seems to be in the context of our relationship to God. Strangers and aliens to the things of God, to the people of God, to the covenants of God, to the Word of God. Right? We, our ancestors, forefathers, didn't know these things. And yet, Elsewhere in Scripture, in Peter in particular, Peter talks of us being strangers and exiles now in this world. That is, where we used to be at home, where we used to be strangers and exiles, we're now at home. And where we used to be at home, we're now strangers and exiles. But notice what Paul says. He says, you're no longer really strangers and exiles because you belong to the one that matters. You belong to the kingdom that matters. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but instead you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. Nobody, nobody in the kingdom of God has a higher status or a higher place than any saint of God that sits in this room right now. You're not further away from God than Abraham or Moses or Paul or Peter. You're not further away from God than any of those people. You have the same status by God's grace. We were once strangers and aliens, but now we are fellow citizens and we're members of the household of God. This idea of the oikos of God, the, the household of God. Notice what Paul says about this household. Verse 20. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You left an old household and you've moved into a new household, and guess what? You've just gotten the report back from the building inspector, and it's wonderful news. Because this household is built on the surest foundation that it can be built on, and it's sustained in the most beautiful way possible. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I think this is referring to the preaching of the gospel in the Old and New Testaments. Then who, look who the cornerstone is. Look what's really holding it all together. It's Christ Jesus. And notice what Paul says. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And now he, he says, in this cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. And in him, this whole structure of the church has been joined together, and it is in Christ, and it is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. I want you to know something, my friends. It's impossible to make First Baptist Church too much about Jesus. I mean, it's just impossible to talk about Jesus too much. I will never once in my life apologize for stealing attention from other things to give attention to Jesus. I won't do it. I won't do it. I, I will for, henceforth and forevermore, and I hope it's always been the case, but I want you to know that we cannot and we will not apologize for preaching Christ crucified. We won't. He is the cornerstone. It's in Him that we grow. We can preach all sorts of things. We can preach anything and everything. I promise you we could line people up who have the willingness and the gifts and the abilities to fill this place up with people who would want to hear about anything but a crucified Messiah. But I will not, I will not fill a church lest it be built on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all we have. It's the only way we grow. It's the only way we're held together. This is not primarily a place for folks to get help, though we hope they get help here. This is not primarily a place for Christians to sing to the Lord, though I cry my eyes out when I hear you sing here. I take such great joy in it. This is not primarily a place where preaching and teaching occur, though God delights in it. This is not primarily a place where we address the woes and ills and sins of the world around us, though preaching the gospel compels us to do that. This is not primarily a place where deep community is fostered, though that's essential for the church and something I think we do well. No, primarily, this isn't even a place. This primarily is a people. Primarily, we are a people. 
And notice how Paul defines us as a people. We are people in whom this whole structure is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord. My friends, before we do anything, that is who we are. Primarily, we are a holy temple in the Lord, joined together and built up together in Christ with all the faithful saints in every time and in every place. And as a people, we are sustained by Christ and Christ alone. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Finally, our church is a dwelling place for God. Christ has joined us together. And the Bible says in the Lord, He's building us as a holy temple. Why? Because our church is a dwelling place for God. I want you to know something. Uh, Whitney brought me up here last night. I'm not driving right now because I didn't take one this morning, but I've been taking muscle relaxers for my back. And DUI is just not something that's easy for me to bounce back from in my career. <laughs> so Whitney's been driving Miss Daisy. Uh, she dropped me off at Deacon's meeting this morning, you know, like the first day of school. I have my bag packed and everything. And uh, she came up here uh, last night, and I wanted to come in and just see what it was like to walk up here, see what it, you know, the pulpit felt like, just kind of test out the waters a little bit. And as I came in, I was just struck afresh, you know, by how much I love this place. I mean, I just really love this place. And, and I mean the building. Like, I love this place. I love the building. I care about it. I, I, I've said now for a decade, you know, part of what I see my calling as is being a good steward of these beautiful historic facilities that God's given us. So it's, it's hard for me to explain how good it feels to be back in this place, to be back in this pulpit, to be preaching again. But it's important to remember, as much as I love it, Let's I love it. That this isn't God's house. God doesn't dwell here. The only time God dwells here is when two or more are gathered here in the name of Christ. Otherwise, this is not a holy place. It's a place where holy things happen, but it's not a holy place. God's dwelling place is the church, not the church house. And this isn't a church unless the church is here. Isn't this beautiful? You are called out of whatever darkness you were called out of. And all of us were called out of darkness. My little church mouse, 10-year-old daughter, was called out of darkness when she was called to be saved. Some of you might have been called out of the ditches of this world when you were called to be saved. But all of us were something before we were a child of God. Now God took us out of that filth and out of that muck, and out of our rebellion, and out of our sin, and He plucked us out of that fire, and He took us, and He placed us on the foundation that He built with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, and He's building us up into a holy temple made for God in order that He might dwell among us, in order that we might be a dwelling place for God. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. My friends, before we do anything, we need to know that that's who we are. Isn't it beautiful? And shouldn't that motivate us? Shouldn't that be an engine that drives our holiness and our godliness in Christ? Shouldn't this promote our unity? 
Every time you want to get sideways with your neighbor, church, remember this. God put these two bricks here to build a dwelling place for himself. Shouldn't it promote our unity? We're built together into a dwelling place for God. The Bible says we once were without hope in the world, but shouldn't this give us hope? We're a dwelling place for God. Shouldn't this ignite our holiness? We're a temple being built together as a dwelling place for God. Shouldn't this give us beautiful, peaceful rest in our identity? God is building us into a dwelling place for himself. And my friends, there where you've been put, right there where you sit, I want you to think about where it is God's put you. Think about where he took you from. An alien, a stranger to the covenant promises of God. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Without God in this world, without hope in this world. And he took you from there and he puts you down on top of the foundation of the apostles and prophets who all have unanimously and uniformly testified to a Messiah, to a Savior named Jesus Christ, who himself is the chief cornerstone. And it's in him that we've been brought together and that we are being built into a holy temple by the Holy Spirit of God. And he's preparing us as a place for himself to dwell. Oh, friends. Isn't this a beautiful platform for what God has called us to do? To reach Gadsden and Etowah County with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think, I believe, I'm here today. I'm in this pulpit right now. I came to this pulpit 10 years ago because I believe with all my heart, and I still do, that God is going to use, He has already, and He's going to continue to use First Baptist Church to do great things for His glory. But what we have to offer is paltry. It's nothing if it's not coming from our rest in the love and grace of God and our realization of who we are. Our belief, our knowledge that we're to be a dwelling place for God. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's work to be done. You know there's work to be done. I hope you're fidgety and anxious to do the work. But before we go to do the work, we need to hydrate. And I pray that all of us will drink deeply of His grace and enjoy all that He has to offer. And then we are going to be able to help others find the same grace that we have found. And we will be able to slowly but surely watch God add brick after brick, stone after stone to the dwelling place that he's built for himself. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus before, I want to offer you to come forward this morning. I'll be standing here waiting on you. I hope if you need to do business with the Lord, either by putting your faith in him for the first time, all you have to do, I believe, is turn from your sins and repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus, and you will be saved. Oh, come join me this morning if you need someone to talk with you or pray with you. Or stay right where you are. This isn't a holy space. Second of all, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me to talk to you today about what it means to be a member at First Baptist Church. And finally, 
You may be a believer who just needs some time to pray, to ask God to grant you the rest and trust that you need to believe who you are in Christ. This altar is open to you today. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be here. After this prayer, I'd love to invite you to come. Let's pray together.